This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Greg Fish joins us to talk about some encouraging news in the fight against climate change and a really good discussion around it, asking questions what it's like for him in California versus us up here in Canada. Progress is being made, but what do we need to work on next to make sure that it works out in the favor of this whole, by the way, we've only got one planet idea. An incredible story of a Syrian refugee's family starting out in Canada and recreating their chocolate empire, Tarek Haddad founder and CEO of Peace by Chocolate, shares his family story and how they're now supporting Ukrainians as new Canadians from Syria. Plus, there is a new movie about the whole story to Peace by Chocolate. Sir Christopher Gilbert is live with us from Tokyo, and he presents what might be the most unfortunate name in all of sports. Plus, did a man really get a parking ticket for having his car's shadow in a parking space that's reserved for someone uh, with disabilities. That and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. It's time for the world of weird things. Welcome, Welcome. to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. All right, Fish, we were talking about big wheels riding that sort of plastic trike or maybe some... Uh, soapbox cars or go-karts or uh, electric drive cars that you get today. What was the thing when you were a kid that used to cruise around in the neighborhood? Well, I mean, knowing where I'm from, everything was nuclear powered. Uh, so that, <laughs> it was a lot more fun. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. For those who for those who might take it seriously, I'm kidding. Uh, well, for those who don't know, uh, uh, Fish is originally from Ukraine way, way back in the day. Yes. Uh, so... Um, I, when I was a kid, I used to have, uh, a tricycle. This, this is when I was, when I was very little. And I, and I do remember that we had a, we had a tiny apartment and my parents marveled at the skill that I had going around that tiny apartment in my tricycle. So when they actually would unleash me on the street, um, I would basically just be like a little speed demon and, and just, uh, drive everywhere on that thing. Yeah. I love it. It's fun though. These are good times, man. You were free. Like you were, you were born free. Like your soul was flying when you were in that moment, when you were a kid. That's the cool part. Oh, and it, yeah, was so <laughs> it was so unsafe. Oh yeah. The unsafe. more, the more unsafe, the more fun. And, and when we went sledding in the winter, because obviously Ukraine, heavy snowfall, you're, you're mm. little, what are you going to do? You're going to get a toboggan and you're going to go sledding down the biggest hill you can find. And then you decide Nah, that's too safe. Let me make it bigger and steeper yeah. and more dangerous and put in some turns and let's see if we can go oh, faster. Right. It was great. It was great. Well, and then and then you're like, let's use inner tubes. Remember you used to go on inner tubes and uh you don't... slide down with tire inner tubes. And then then that wasn't enough. Then you would do two inner tubes stacked on top of one another, and then you'd hit a bump, of course, and you're basically sitting on top you and four other people are on top of a giant spring at that point with no helmet on whizzing down a hill god knows how fast hey that i always wanted to, that i always wanted to try but never got a chance to that oh, really? that sounds fun to me that is fun it was so dangerous but it was so fast like when the when the family that brought the giant tractor tire inner tube to the sliding hill when they got to the top of the hill everybody scattered off the hill because you knew that that family was coming ripping so yeah good times all right the world of weird things.com is greg fish's blog and podcast where you can find all of the articles about all of the things uh what do you want to get into today fish you got some uh, cool ideas here where are we going so i want to talk a little bit about climate change but not in the usual gloom and doom that you hear in fact you've probably been hearing nothing but absolutely horrific gloom and doom and then people the asking, well, why are, why are the kids today so depressed, especially about the climate? Well, you just told them that we're all going to drown and we're all going to boil and things are all going to be bad. Um, now, here's the important thing here. Whatever I say from now has to be premised with the, uh, with the fact that we still have a lot to do to clean up the planet. We're still not out of the woods yet. But all of the electric vehicles that we have been working on, all of the uh, all of the wind turbines, all the solar panels, um, all the tidal power, all of the efforts to clean the grid and lower emissions have been working. 
And there's some really good news coming out from researchers that basically say we may have avoided the absolute worst case scenario. So the worst case scenario that has been projected for us is global temperatures rise by an average, average global temperatures rise by more than five degrees centigrade by the 2100s. So if five, five degree or five degrees or more would be downright apocalyptic for our current agriculture and infrastructure. Yeah. The storms, the sea level rise, the droughts, the flash floods would do trillions of dollars in damage, destabilize countries, uh, well, kick just off migration pandemics. of animals and ecosystems because they can't live in the heat and they haven't adapted yet alone would be catastrophic. Oh yeah, no, it would be like livestock would a lot of livestock would die. It just a complete complete wipeout it would be a catastrophe so i just so like to remind we, you you said this wasn't going to be a, a doom and gloom <laughs> yes but but that's and that was that was the worst case scenario but now looking at our current efforts if we extrapolate them out we are now no longer looking at a five plus degree increase we're looking at a 3.4 degrees increase at worst so what that tells us is that's not going to be a picnic, but at least that's not apocalyptic. At that point, we are we're definitely seeing some conflict. We're definitely seeing some crop failures, but they're not global. We okay. we still those are that's where we can more or less cope. We can more or less deal with some of these things. But here's the very important thing. It shows us that our current efforts are working and the more we keep doing now, the more it adds up. So if we keep going the way that we are and keep accelerating our already ongoing efforts into which many, many investment funds have already come to which already they've committed trillions of dollars in clean technology and green and green up the grids um, and investing more in electric vehicles and new kinds of batteries and new kinds of transmission and more. And again, more solar, more wind, more hydro, more tidal, more nuclear we are looking at maybe potentially as good as 2.4 degrees increase, which again, not exactly ideal, but at that point, it's actually wouldn't be that much horribly different than what we have now. We just have to keep the inertia going, keep the momentum going. So that's why it's not gloom and doom. We have evidence that our current efforts are working. We are making a difference. Okay. Well, so this is good news, I suppose. I, I do have one question for you. And I, if it's too much opinion, then, then let me know. Even if it's working today, there are elements of this conversation that are deferrals of problems. For example, lithium, right? The uh, uh, windmills is another one, wind turbines. Um, because wind turbines now, there's a really great story just actually a few weeks ago that we found that there's a new company that's come out with a product that is strong enough to be the, the fins on a wind turbine, and it's actually a recycle, recyclable product. All of the wind turbines up to this point have not been recyclable at all. Actually, there's a big uh, graveyard the, of these things getting buried that you can see from space, by the way. It's so big. And so that was a deferral of the problem. So finally, the technology seems to have started to catch up, so now it becomes a recyclable product. That's good news. But when it comes to lithium batteries and some of these other products that there's still no place for them to go, what I worry about when you say those things, Fish, is that if five degrees was the drop-dead number, 3.4 is the projection on the current path we're on, good news, I worry that we're just deferring the problem with some of these solutions. They're not, we're calling them solutions, but they're not. They're Band-Aids, and I worry about that. Well, the current projections are based on lithium-ion and on non-recyclable wind turbines. As you said, we are we are starting to get more solutions for them. So right now, uh, there's uh, very heavy research into sodium-ion bath batteries, which are more recyclable. They are um, much easier. It's much easier to get the sodium. It's much easier to build them. Uh, the real problem with them is that they are heavier than we ideally want them. So it's a so it's it's a trade-off of how we want to design them so they don't impede performance of electric cars by weighing them down too much. But there's definitely some some steps being taken to lighten them and make them more reliable and make them easier to charge. Um, and actually, the nice thing about sodium ion batteries is that they would last longer. So their their lifespan would be longer. 
and uh, you would be able to charge them. They could hold a much longer charge and improve your range. So there's right now, there's a lot of very active work. There's a number of researchers who are really trying to get it done because the incentive is there. The money is there. Right now, there's a lot of car makers who have committed to building electric vehicles. And whoever figures out how to get that correct sodium ion formula, how to get that correct construction, how to get the correct patent, stands to make many billions of dollars. This wasn't the case before, and that was the other big thing. There wasn't a lot of 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there wasn't a lot of incentive to go green other than we got to save the earth, which is important and it's good and it's a great <laughs> motivator. <laughs> but unfortunately, if you have to do it on your own dime, a lot of people's pockets run out pretty damn quick. So now that there's right. billions of dollars going into research and billions of dollars to be made by each successful invention and for solving all of these problems, you see technology catching up faster and faster because right now it's it's money. It's worth your time to very heavily invest in these solutions because there's people literally paying you to come up with these ideas. So you're absolutely so you're absolutely correct. There's still a lot of things that we need to that we need to think about, especially how do we recycle batteries for electric vehicles? Because some of the oldest electric vehicles are hidden about ten years old. So how do you dispose of their batteries? How do you service uh, service what's left? And then the other important part is, will we ever come up with a standardized uh, standardized pattern for these batteries where you can go to like a gas station, literally switch out your battery and go on yeah. your way while that battery gets recharged? Right now, we can't do that because all of these things are very proprietary. Well, but if someone comes up noting, with a standard. Well, and a standard for the connections, too. That's another thing to throw in there because a lot of the different cars, they actually, it's kind of like a beta VHS generation conversation because um you know some of these cars don't take the same plug as the other car yeah absolutely so all of these yeah, things need well. to be standardized yeah so as soon as we start standardizing these things as long as soon as as the money is going to be behind the behind the logistics and providing the services to standardize all of these parts uh we're going to see a huge uptick in uh electric vehicles and people adopting electric vehicles and uh, cars that use internal combustion being phased out. So again, there's there's just a lot of really good stuff happening. There's a lot of incentives aligning. And really our, our number one goal needs to be to keep that momentum going, to keep from backsliding, to make sure that we are voting for leaders who will make the right decision to keep those incentives going, to go where the smart money is, to go where the jobs of the future are going to be, to go where all of the incentives are pointing instead of backsliding to specific interests. Well, see, but I, I don't know that that's the case. I think that there's an, I think there's a, a big chunk of people here that say this is a specific interest, right? And I'm going to present to you an alternative. Now, you're in California, so our conversation about electric is very different than yours because an electric car here that says it has 300 kilometers on it that's not warm in winter, by the time you go to the store and back, you have 15 kilometers left. Right. So like we have much different problems in Canada. So in Canada, while you I mean, you're in a warm climate. And so you you say that it's special interest. It's not special interest to us. It's not a political conversation for us. It's don't die on a highway. And when things go wrong uh, here in weather and people get stuck on highways in the cold um, and your battery runs out. Right. I mean, so how, how did I mean, maybe that's not even part of the conversation just because of where you are. But here it is the driving factor of the conversation is because of the fact that we have access to hydrogen here. Canada is way more energy rich than the United States is. And we have, um, you know, access to hydrogen. Hydrogen development's a big one uh, here uh, in regards to vehicles and, and what that looks like long term. And, and we we need to stay warm. Like if if there's not enough solar or wind or electricity in Canada available today to heat everybody, just to heat the homes, right? So does that, is that part of the, and I'm not saying it to like uh, argue with you. I'm just offering this different lens that because of where you are in California, does that create a different bubble where these pieces of the conversation are there or are, do you hear about them or do you not hear about them? No, I absolutely hear about them. Battery performance does vary. By the way, uh, it, I am in the warm climate, but here's the fun part. The heat also deteriorates the performance of electric vehicles. Oh, I if you're so. very so it's it, there's there's it, it's just a different it's just a different aspect of the problem. So 
uh, I think one of the things to really keep in mind is that the future is not going to be this one technology that rescues us all. There's going to be a big mix of different technologies, and there's going to be a big mix of different solutions to address them. And it's going to depend on the climate. It's going to depend on where you are. It's going to depend on what your preferences are. It's going to depend on what the economics are going to look at 20, 30 years from now. That's not something we can intuit. Um, and you can argue that something like cleaning up uh, you know, cleaning up the environment and, and making sure that we lower emissions is a special interest uh, uh, of sorts. But let me put it to you this way. Imagine that you live in a very large house with a group of roommates and your roommates got together with some of their friends, secured a bunch of money and opened a business where they essentially put, they took all the furniture out of your kitchen and out of your living room and put up a bunch of part potties and they're charging strangers to come in and use them and to maximize their profits. They clean them as little as possible and hire the cheapest possible services to clean them. Mm-hmm. If you're living in, if you're living in this house, you're probably going, this is disgusting. This is unsanitary. There's going to be disease. There's going to be infection. I can't cook like this. I can't live like this. What are we doing? What are we doing to this house? This is, this is, there's gotta be other ways to make money that won't kill us. And this is kind of where we are with the climate. You know, we, we have this planet and this planet is a fairly relatively closed ecosystem. Now, obviously, where we're, we get energy from the sun, there's but from an ecosystem standpoint, from a water cycle standpoint, for where our waste ends up, we end up hurting ourselves. It is it is basically the equivalent of treating our planet as an open sewer. And because we mm-hmm. don't have a planet B, I, you could argue that it's a special interest, but I would argue it, survival is kind of important. Not poisoning ourselves mm-hmm. is kind of important. Well, I think that when you when you take that, I get that. And I, I actually quite like what you just said when you say that, you know, we have this sort of closed loop that we have to take care of regardless. And that's all I'm challenging. I'm saying I'm not sure. I'm not convinced yet. I love electric cars. They're so much fun to drive. I'm not convinced that we're at the place where this is the solution to clean up the closed loop. And that's the thing for me. And you said it two times, maybe three times that I realized it. You keep saying it. And this is the driving factor. It always is on both sides. And you said money. There's money available. And that's why this happens is because there's money to be made. You see, it's a, there's a lot more money to be made by putting electric charging stations up a highway today than there is to put gasoline stations up a highway today. And so greenwashing is so incredibly important. And I'm not saying you're greenwashing anything by any means, but it is one of the pieces of the puzzle that we have to be so incredibly aware of. I love what you said. I love that you said that this is our closed loop. We can't, you know, poison our own lives. And we have been so incredibly reckless in so many of the things that we have done. I mean, garbage in the ocean alone is a staggering problem, right? Like that, that in itself, even if, even if we were good at all the other things, like magically the petroleum, you know, in the gasoline didn't cause the carbon in the air, but just the garbage in the oceans, we as humans need to hold ourselves into account. I wish we had more time, Greg. I would like to dig into this more and more. It's great. The article's great. You need to read this article. Global warming won't kill us anymore, but it will make us suffer. It's a great perspective, worldofweirdthings.com, and I will post this link up on our shiftheads.ca uh, Facebook page because it is very insightful to learn about. I love what you're bringing up, Greg. It's great. I mean, Thank you very much. We also have to accept the fact that we can't solve the world's uh, problems in 20 minutes either. <laughs> Sadly. Uh, oh, I w- oh, how I no wish we how could. Hard, no matter how hard we try. Great points, Greg. I love it always, buddy. I really appreciate you being here. Always a pleasure. This is The Shift Podcast. One of the topics that we're hearing a lot about, of course, is refugees people coming to canada to uh, find a new life whether that's temporarily permanently escape ukraine wow life comes full circle holy moly Uh, a few years ago syria was also welcomed with open arms by canadians and to build a new life escape out of syria whether it's temporarily until the you know uh, the the sort of evil passes and to go back one day or to move to Canada to become Canadians. And this is a fun story. Joining me now is Trek Hadhad. Uh, joins me now, CEO of Peace by Chocolate. And I got to include the 
a Syrian family tradition on there. <laughs> um, Tarek, you've got this. Wow. Holy. This has come full circle for you, hasn't it? It, it sure did. It sure did. So your background is 2015. You emigrated from Syria to Canada. You're in Halifax now. So uh, here you are in Canada, probably cold. <laughs> Pretty much. But, but you're here. And, uh, and now you are taking, you've got this piece by Chocolate Scenario. And uh, I want to know about that in the film. And then you're flipping it back to Ukraine now, which gets really exciting. So that's right. What an inspiring right. story this is. So tell me first about uh, Tarek, your family. What happened? How did you end up here? Uh, well, you know, we are uh, from Syria. I was born in Damascus, and uh, um, we were living such a happy life. It's, uh, it was a peaceful moment for our family, and uh, everyone was uh, living up to their uh, dreams and goals, and uh, everyone had uh, kind of a standard, regular life. You know, we all had the passions, something that we were uh, looking forward to, something that we were excited about. Um, and my family started a chocolate empire in the Middle East since 1986, uh, which did not exist before. All all my grand, uh, all my uncles and my grandfather and everyone was kind of in the academia field. They were not entrepreneurs. They were not able to take risks. They did not like to take risks actually. But my father changed that cycle for the family, and he started a chocolate business. Although he had no idea how to make two fried eggs once, so you know <laughs> he learned how to make chocolate, and that's how the. Uh, you know, I remember the, the the old days my family used to tell me the company started because my father wanted to spread happiness. And he said, chocolate makes happiness. Everyone eats chocolate will be happy. No one eats chocolate will ever be sad. And there were stories and stories about how my father really came up to this conclusion. But the ultimate goal for our family was certainly to build a, a business, not only for our family, but to give back to the community, to give back to society in Syria, where there were so many people who were living under poverty lines. Um, I was born, I was passionate about medicine. I got into med school in Damascus while joining my family's mission, certainly to make the world a better and happier place. But uh, the war started in Syria in 2012 um, after um, many people know something called the Arab Spring when people were asking for reforms uh, in the regime, in the government. After so much corruption and so many people were living we're living in, in no opportunity at all. Uh, there was so much injustice. Uh, there was so much inequality. There was so much poverty outside of Damascus. And uh, no one was listening. No one was certainly making any changes and doing any reforms. So people were fed up with it. They were on the streets. They were marching. They were demonstrating. They were protesting. And there was so much violence into, in response to these requests from Syrians. By the end of 2012, um, I remember the uh, the hard days when uh, my family, we were living actually in one building, uh, all my family members in 10 floors. Uh, my grandmother was on the first floor, we were on the second floor, my uncles and my aunts. And uh, it was such a happy life surrounded by a, a garden of trees that you would imagine. You know, we had trees of apricots, lemon, orange, berries, Syrian berries. It was, there was a fountain in front of our uh, building that everyone was really coming to see it because it was stunning. So um, by the end of 2012, we lost um, our building. It was um, stolen, it was burned, and it was bombed by an airstrike. And then uh, our second largest chocolate factory in the region was also bombed later that year. But we did not choose to leave the country because we said no one was born to become an immigrant. No one was born to become a refugee. It is not a life goal. It is not a choice. Let's stay in our homeland. Let's see what happens. And uh, hopefully peace will return. To our homeland because once you are born in a country that has that has experienced peace it's hard to imagine how life would become without it like no one in canada would imagine oh there is a war here no one would ever imagine that because no one experienced well, right. it and no one even would think that this is possible the same thing in syria in 2010 no one thought that this is possible no one thought that there would be a, a war in a year and just everything broke down. So in 2013, we lost literally every single thing we own. And um, a lot of my family members just um, left the country. They fled after so much suffering, after so much, uh, um, you know, challenges, so many struggles in, in our lives. So we went to Lebanon and then we became called refugees. So from Lebanon, actually, then we applied to come to Canada in 2014. And uh, it was actually a very, very random thing to come to Canada because we had no one here. We didn't know how to apply. Actually, I didn't know where the embassy was. 
And I'm here just because of uh, a cab driver who I was with him randomly. And he told me about Canada. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to apply. I applied and wow. I got accepted. Wow. And then my family followed me and then we built this empire again. So <laughs> Yeah. And so, and that's what's happened. You've rebuilt the piece by chocolate, um, chocolate company really and uh and it's amazing too by the way like you have the thank you you have the peace chocolate uh one piece won't hurt but it's p-e-a-c-e which is beautiful (laughs) Uh, i love the giver bar which is very canadian of you um and so much more that you've got here in in what you've done so now you've recreated you've come to canada you've been here for six or seven years you've recreated this business and um and by the way just uh, peacebychocolate.ca p-e-a-c-e by chocolate uh you can go check there and check that out now Here's where this gets really, I mean, if that's not exciting enough of what you've accomplished, <laughs> it's inspiring. Yeah, Trek, it's so inspiring. So you've come here, you've built this new life, you've rebuilt your family company, you've done it in Canada. Now it's getting turned into a movie. And uh, and now there's that's a right. movie about all of it. That's and um, because you're not busy enough, obviously. So here you go. Uh, obviously, yeah. <laughs> With a million things. Yeah, it was... This was surreal, by the way. I uh, I never imagined that there would be someone portraying who is me just being on the big screen and playing myself and actors playing my family and the community of Antigonation, Nova Scotia and Canadians in general. Uh, I would never really have imagined that our story would turn into something so big as it has uh, uh, turned over the past uh, six years. Uh, we had a book, best-selling book in the immigration sector uh, we published in 2020. Um, it is called Peace by Chocolate author John Tatry. We were actually supposed to release the movie in 2020 because it was filmed then. It's a, a very, very uh, lo- lengthy process. We started talking about the movie in 2017, and now we are in 2022. And we're just going to see it in theater starting next week. Wow. So imagine how long the process was really to get yeah, from Yeah, must be anxious and, and excited and yeah, you all know, those things. To, to, to get all the process done and to meet with the director, to meet with the screen uh, uh, play writer and to meet with uh, the producers and the actor and the candidates first before they are actors, they are candidates. And to meet with countless number of people really to talk about how this story can fit into an 80-minute movie. You know, we have... Mm-hmm. I have lived my entire life. How can I select which parts of my story are going to go into the movie? So yeah. Well, it must be hard because there's some ugly parts too there. There's some there having are. to relive some really ugly times. They did not actually focus on the Syrian part. They mainly just show that, you know, you you be only to see the first scenes like for three minutes or four minutes about Syria. Mm-hmm. And then everything else for 76 minutes is about Canada and how I arrived nice. in Canada and after. But it's, it's not a documentary. It's a... Uh, probably 60% of it true, and then 40% is drama editions. But I think it delivers a story uh, fairly about about our uh, community of Antigonish, how they welcomed us with super kind and, and open-hearted mindsets, you know, that they mm-hmm. have not known me ever. Like, I came here as a stranger. I, I didn't know anyone, and they just knew one thing. And that one thing is that I am a human being seeking safety and peace. Mm-hmm. And I connected to them with that value. I connected with them with my humanity. And I connected with them on many levels that they they really just wanted to, to help uh, a family randomly. And we were the lucky ones. And I, I, I always say that we did not choose Antigonish, actually, in Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia chose us. And now it is our moral responsibility to give back. So really telling the story in one form and starting the company and doing everything and giving back and donating to charities and all of the work that we are doing is just, you know, we, we will never be able to pay it to pay it back. We never will never be able to give back to Canada what Canada has given us, hmm. which is another chance of life. You know, when you live in a place where you are counting down to death, literally, literally counting down to death every single day as a refugee without any hope, without any light at the end of the tunnel. And then Canada would come to you and say, this is your chance to rebuild this is your chance to restart. Take it. And yeah. then well, you are on a plane and just arriving. And then you're it's there. just incredible. Well, incredible. so many people, like when, when we sit down and we, you know, sit down and have a beer or, or, or uh, a, a tea or whatever, we'll sit down and, and sometimes you'll say, given, a, given the chance to do it all over again, how would you do it differently, right? We'll talk about business that way, maybe school that way. There's so many things that we would talk right. about that way. And here you are. Um, 
and you, you've had that chance and how amazing that is. But he, the thing that really gets me, Tarek, is that when you lived in Syria, I mean, it sounds to me like your family was successful, right? You were able to keep your yeah. family in one uh, big place. Yeah. Uh, you had this company. Everything was, you were studying the, the, the medicine. Yeah. So, I mean, th- there was uh, you there was a lot of resources and, and, and a successful family unit yeah. there. Yeah. And then it's all gone. Right. That's then right. it's yeah. all of the work of uh, the generations before you, your work, it's it's all gone. So given the chance to do it again, now that you're in Halifax, you've moved from Syria, you've rebuilt business. How do you do it differently today because it was all taken away? Because there must be pieces of this puzzle that are just different today because it was all gone. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I would uh, certainly, uh, I think if I have to live through the same experiences again. Uh, I wish if I had the opportunity to, again, I'm just arriving in Toronto airport. It's December, 2015. I would like to slow things down. I would like to enjoy every single moment because like there were a lot of things that have happened in my life over the past six years that I, they were extraordinary. Like one day I'm just sitting there, a community with community members and having uh, uh, double, double at Tim Hortons in the town. And then the next day I'm meeting a prime minister, the third day I'm meeting President Barack Obama, fourth day I would talk at the space, fifth day we're doing, you know, we're doing the second largest uh, chocolate company again, but here in Nova Scotia, not in Syria. It's just really incredible. Yeah, so that fast, The pace right? that things have went with, just really, really fast, yeah. Well, so, you do have, uh, I think, uh, you know, enjoy it. Go, sorry, go ahead with, I didn't mean to step on your thought there. Please continue. No, no, no. That's that, that was it. I mean, the, uh, the whole idea for, for me was to certainly, um, enjoy every single moment and really savior it. And I think the one moment that I would just stop on so much and so in depth was the moment when I got my Canadian citizenship, which was January 15th in 2020. I would love to live that day forever. I would love really to, to me- memorize every single detail out of it. Yeah, see, this is amazing. The uh, the peacebychocolate.ca website, I mean, you do have tributes to, uh, you know, to Nova Scotia, um, cause you got the Magin bar and like, I, right. I don't know how your maritime accent is, but, uh, go <laughs> on with you, right? Write yeah. some good. And then you have the Canadian peace bar three pack, which is the a bar, the Hey buddy bar and the giver bar. Like, so you've that's really right. embraced some of this, uh, Canadian Canadiana thing. Now that's right. there is an emotional part to this. Um, uh, maybe your life was like this, that when you were in Syria and your family had the chocolate company there, you know, the thinking of you bar, you know, there's a lot of caring and empathy, the thank you bar, the peace bar, all these right. things yeah. um, that were the congratulations bar. So all of these things were there, right? Like they're all here. And then you've taken it to the next level. Now, if you're just joining us here in this conversation, uh, this is Tarek Haddad. He's in Halifax, Peace by Chocolate, P-E-A-C-E by Chocolate. He's a Syrian uh, refugee who came to Canada. He's Canadian citizen now. Now, I, I recap this because there's so much information here. <laughs> Rebuilt your family company. Now there's a movie. And on top of it, you're paying it back with proceeds from some of these bars that are inspired by Ukraine. That's right. To help. And there is the Peace for Ukraine bar. There is all the, there's the one with the sunflower on it. Forget the name. Um, there's the, the packs gold bar, of bars. The gold bar, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's the 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 one with the doves on it, the the peacemaker series yeah, one and so there's right. the harmony, there's so much here and now you're actually giving it back to Ukraine. The empathy you must carry in your heart for Ukrainians right now must be heavy though. Uh, 100%, you know, every time I um, I turn on the news and I watch uh, Ukrainian families, I just remember one thing, my family. And I remember one thing, our story and our journey. And um, if you are in a place of um, of privilege to be able to give, why not? If you are in a place of privilege to be able to uh, donate, please do it. The world needs much more kindness. The, the, the world needs your light in the moment of darkness. Please, if you are able to do anything good at this moment, this is the moment when the world really needs you the most. And that's that was really the motivation. But on the other side, I, I just felt that, you know, we are a brand of peace. And uh, this was a moment of, I think it was a, testing moment for for our for our brand for our story for our company for the leadership that our family carries that our team carries i just felt that how can i go to our staff room and share the laughs that we are always here when there are people dying on the other side of the world yeah. when they were being bombed 
how can we really respect ourselves after that? We sat down the day after the invasion and our team members, actually, we worked for almost 18 hours that day. No one went home. And we were like, what can we do? And then we started calling celebrities around the country. We're like, guys, we need to do something. And then I remember we launched a campaign called peaceforukraine.ca. And the, the link is still valid, actually. If people can go peaceforukraine.ca, it will take you to a platform we built with the Canadian Red Cross that has almost now, you know, there are tens of thousands of dollars donated through that platform. And other people, really, other celebrities who endorse our company and this campaign really have donated tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars to the campaign. So without, within this product that we created, Peace, Peace for Ukraine and the Ukrainian Bar, which, is, which was really created in March, to teach people how to say peace in Ukrainian, mm-hmm. which is mere. We had around 14 different languages already where we teach people how to say peace because... Peace should be the ABC of our mutual language. And we live in a country that is so diverse. If you walk on the street in Halifax or in Toronto or in Vancouver, no matter where, or in a small town, you would hear different languages. You would hear people really listening to different languages. In the lobby here in my building, I was just getting in to, before this interview, and at least I heard five languages in my lobby alone. Yeah, so cool. So how come we do not share the language of peace with others? That's why... I wanted to tell people, I wanted to teach them how to say it in, in Mi'kmaq, it's Wanta'udi, in, in uh, French, it's, it's Pa, you know, in, in Spanish, it's Paz, it's, uh, it's uh, Shanti, you know, you can say Salam in Arabic, you can say Shalom in, in Hebrew, you can say it in a million different languages. But the main thing that we wanted to share in March was say it in Ukrainian, live the experience of the Ukrainian people donate because it's a good cause and that's really what we have felt canadians were so excited about because they have lived through the ukrainian experience throughout our story which was very noble do you know when they looked in our eyes and they were like we know from what you have told us so far how harmful the war is how ugly the war is because there's nothing good in any war Peacebychocolate.ca. I'm putting the link up at our Facebook group. We have a group of uh, shift heads, we call them, our, our nighttime community of, of listeners that, uh, okay. that listen to the program. Um, on there is the list of all the places in all the other provinces where you can go check out the movie. Uh, Winnipeg, you're on there. Calgary, you're on there. Toronto, Scarborough, Mississauga, uh, right. you're on there. Edmonton, we broadcast there. We've got Coquitlam and Richmond for Vancouver, plus Vancouver. Uh, across on Vancouver Island, there's Victoria. Like, it literally crosses... Everywhere we broadcast, there's an opportunity for you to check out this movie. Piece by Chocolate, you will see the uh, the, um, the Ukrainian bars, uh, plus all you East Coasters, you'll love it. Um, and um, and then there's just this this absolutely beautiful story of leadership and and all these things. I guess, uh, Tarek, my, my next question is, when you started this conversation, you told me about the fountain in front of your old family building. That's right. Um, so when do you build a fountain in Halifax? To, uh, to salute <laughs> the old world in Syria. Well, actually, you know, we started it. This is this is my this is our legacy. You see the arch here on top of my head. I mean, this mm. is the arch in our flagship store in Halifax that we built. We opened last year. It's the same color as our fountain. We did not build a fountain. Actually, we built. We kind of translated the same color because it felt it feels so warm and so welcoming mm. and so inviting and so charming. So actually, we started doing that. But the fountain actually is my father's dream right now. My father is. Super excited about being in Canada. He's he's super Canadian right now. He <laughs> lives in Canadian Tire. He goes to Canada. If he's he should be the mayor of Canadian Tire. He knows every single aisle. I love you it. <laughs> if you lose him, you'll find him in Canadian Tire or Tim Hortons. He's <laughs> such a Canadian right now, and everyone in my family, you know, they they are enjoying their citizenship because we knew how life could be so tough without having a place to call home. And Canada really, when yeah, Canada opened the doors for us, we just felt that we we have so much, you know, to to be thankful for. Um, no matter what happens in Canada, I think uh, no matter what problems we could have, which is first world problems, they still are first world problems. Yeah. No matter what happens here, whether yeah. you know, and as long as you know we are safe, we have a roof above our head, we have enough food for the day. There's a lot to be thankful for, and if we are healthy as well, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the the entire story about our family is um, it's at the same time, even the brand itself, it's a mix between Syrian flavors and Canadian flavors. For example, when we came 
came to Canada, we brought in, you know, different flavors like roasted hazelnuts and almonds and pistachios mixed with, mixed with dried fruits that we used to, to bring from our backyard in Damascus. But when we came to Canada, we created a, a new flavor, which is the maple cream, which became our, our top seller, actually. We created, that's oh, actually fun. what the Canadian series is. And, you know, we created um, additional um, almost 50 flavors that we have right now with artisanal line, high quality products, because this is what peace is all about. But on the family side, you know, I know we lost many family members in the world. We cannot bring them back. But what we can bring back is our talents and our skills. And that's what we have brought to Canada because no one comes to Canada empty, like not a refugee, no immigrant. Everyone comes here to contribute. And and I think, you know, the the, the ultimate thing for, for our family is to hopefully see my, my family surrounded again on a dinner table on a Saturday. Like mm. the, the old days that we used to have. And after walking downtown Damascus, when we smelled the jasmine after the rain, you know, there were many happy memories that, that will never be forgotten. But I think uh, to, to just to your point about the fountain, I guess uh, many, uh, many uh, Canadians have uh, really uh, celebrated our culture with us in a way we've never imagined. So I think bringing in the architectural aspect of our lives from home is something that we are working on really uh, wholeheartedly because I believe this is something that we would like to leave for the province. You know, there's nothing more beautiful than seeing Canada as a, be- a as a lovely mosaic. You know, people come here from different parts of the world. No one asked my family to take off anything from our culture when you arrive at the airport. No one asked them to take off their hijabs or to change the way that they dress or to change the way that they see themselves living in a country like Canada. Everyone was welcoming, everyone was supporting, everyone was even saying if you need to speak Arabic, we can just guide you to an Arabic-speaking community until you learn the language. And then we're like, no, we want to be integrated. So, you know, that's that's the motivation, I think. It's just, uh, I always say that kindness begets kindness. Yeah, And oh, whenever you offer kindness, you will get kindness back. And I think in a world where there's so much hatred and anxiety, I think people can forget sometimes that there are good people out there. So please never lose hope because those Canadians who welcome me from 8,000 kilometers far away, you know, they just bring me so much hope every day. Every day I woke, I wake up, I'm like, I'm going to remember that story forever. I'm going to tell it to my kids in the future. I don't have kids now, but when I have kids, I'm going to tell them mm-hmm. that please go learn about how Canadians welcomed your father. Because this is a story that I want humanity to remember. Because there was no nothing in common between us, not at all. We did not speak the same language. We did not share the skin color. We did not have the same cultural background. It was so different. But they believed wholeheartedly that we have the same amount of bones. We have the same amount of blood. And then we have so much in common, more than what, yeah. we, what, what separates us. It's beautiful. Well, that and who's going to go find dad at Canadian Tire? Yes, exactly. That's also important. <laughs> Please, yeah. uh, so I'll describe the archway that's in the picture here, just for everyone who's listening on the radio. The um, it's like a baby blue ocean colored tile, uh, kind of like a subway tile, but it's integrated differently, and it's beautiful and it's stunning. And you go to piecebychocolate.ca. It makes sense now because you can see inside the logo of the tile, and you can also see the baby blue at the top of the website as well. It's fascinating. Um, it's helping out with Ukraine. It's an amazing story about uh, rebirth, if you will. A mosaic is a beautiful word. I love. Of the word you use mosaic and um an opportunity to to literally be born again and that's a good question i think that i would like to leave everybody with is that if given the chance to do it again what would you do differently to make sure that you did it the way that your heart was in integrity with yourself and here's the catch i guess in all the humanity that we can share is that you do have a chance you have a chance right now and right now and right now and every moment that passes whether it's tomorrow or your next conversation, you do have a chance to, to do it again. And this particular tragedy uh, comes the beauty of rebirth. And I love it. So check out the movie, peacebychocolate.ca. Uh, Tarek, this is fascinating. I love it. I love the story. And, uh, and thank you for being so inspiring and, and taking everything uh, to the next level. I do hope you slow down and uh, can enjoy some of the time <laughs> <laughs> as well. Sometime soon, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you. No, I, I, I'm honored really to share my story and to share our uh, our piece by chocolate journey with everyone. Uh, please, everyone, just remember that uh, kindness would prevail, love would prevail, peace would prevail. So uh, go to a stranger, help them, because I think with small acts of kindness, we can all change the world. This 
This is the Shift Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It is time for us to go all the way across the Pacific this time and connect with our buddy, Potato Chip Gilbert. Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert. And his imaginary cat, Potato Chip Gilbert. Potato Chip Potato Gilbert. Chip Gilbert. Yeah, that's my cat. It's not me. You referred to me as Potato Chip Gilbert. No, nope, I said we were Gilbert. going to. I was looking forward to talk to uh, Potato Chip Gilbert, and well, here we are with he, you. He's not here. He's an imaginary cat. No, oh, okay. That actually you have more of an obsession with recently than even I do. I know. You know, it was one of my favorite things about uh, when you used to work here on the shift. And uh, for those who don't know, maybe who are new to the shift, uh, Chris used to be Ryan. And then he sort of molted his skin and moved and went to uh, Tokyo. And then we got we found Ryan. Ryan was wandering lonely by himself in the streets. And we said, hey, big fella, you need a home? And so he came with us, and, and Chris left. So that's that's how yeah. that's how radio happens. Maybe because uh, it's not that you appreciated the uh, interviews I had lined up, or the interviews that I did, or the stories that I made, or the hours yeah. that I put in. No, you you appreciated my imaginary kit that I made up one time. Yeah, it's pretty good though. <laughs> it's pretty it's good. Pretty the cat's good. pretty good. It is, is pretty, pretty good. good. You must admit. I'm not going to lie. This is a good cat. Chris is in Tokyo. Uh, Chris is from New Zealand, and then he was in Japan. Then he came to Canada and worked in Canada, spent a bunch of time here, loves Canada, back in Tokyo, happily married, and um, and uh, and going back to New Zealand for the first time in forever soon, Mate, which is cool. I'm, I'm spinning at the moment. I don't know what to do. Like, uh, my wife just messaged me, and she's back at the office today. And she was like, oh, my God, I'm at an office. The phone is ringing. Like, the telephone oh, is ringing wow. in my office. And she's like, there's people here, and they're talking to me. So she messaged me, is COVID over? And, well, no, it's not. And, uh, like, I'm a little bit uh, nervous because, um, you know, I've already had the thing, and I'm, I'm triple-vaxxed and stuff, right? But, like, I'm, I'm going home, which is uh, a 10-hour flight away or in my case, two 10-hour flights away because I have to stop over in Singapore, but whatever. And uh, But the thing is, you had to get a PCR test either side of that. And, you know, I don't want some some um, shenanigan-loving New Zealander to, you know, cough on me the wrong way and I have to fail my PCR test and not come back to Japan to be stuck in New Zealand forever. Like it oh, used do you to need a PCR test days. to get into Japan? Yeah, I need a PCR test both ways. So um, wow. that's the only thing I'm nervous about at the moment. Apart from that, it should be a barrel of laughs. A barrel of laughs. That's neat. I um, oh. Yeah, no, you don't need those in Canada anymore. You can just come in and out. You're good. Cool. Wow, maybe, maybe I'll come there then. Maybe, you know, bugger New Zealand. I'm not going there. I'm going to go back to BC and drink. You know what they... Drink um, me a, a night's pint of craft beer. They said uh, in Canada they changed some of the, uh, the, the returning to Canada rules. And they're like, okay, so when you come back to Canada, whether you're double vaxxed or not, you no longer have to wear a mask for 14 days everywhere you go. And all of Canada collectively went, oh, did we need to do that? <laughs> and nice. they're, they're like, yes, you're supposed yeah. to wear a mask when you come back to Canada for 14 days. And all of Canada was like, oh, did not know. Okay, thanks for letting us know. So. <laughs> there's um i mean like uh i remember the the you know the interviews we used to book and stuff and, and one of the conversations we were having back you know last year and the year before in canada was how do you enforce these things you know these measures you're putting in place and i think uh mask enforcement is probably one of the most impossible things i've ever heard um <laughs> so uh yeah no I, i've never heard of wearing a mask for 14 days. i mean i have worn a mask for 14 i've worn a mask for a couple of years now but um, I've never heard of a requirement of wearing. You're a going mask to uh, those ten-hour flights are going to be hard on your nose, man. Oh, you know, like I'm going to have Gossip Girl. It's going to be fine. I'm downloading like four seasons of Gossip Girl onto my laptop, so I'm just going <laughs> to sit there and join the gang and daydream about the mid 2000s, the good old days. You know, great. You, uh, yeah. Well, you're probably flying in a pod in the front of the plane. Hey, well, yeah, yeah, those freelance journalists, woof, living up the high life. You know, nice. I'm just pointing in every time. Um, I, I'll also tell you that I've been in the wars a little bit. Do you say that in Canada, been in the wars a little bit recently? Is that a piece of British colonialism that infiltrated? I don't know. I don't know what culture? it means. So, okay, no, no. Uh, been in the wars means uh, you're you're been hurt a lot recently, 
and oh. um, and uh, I banged up my knee snowboarding, and uh, I've still got a, a tennis ball sized lump on my leg here. And I uh, don't know if you want to see it on the Zoom call or not. But I also, um, yesterday... I want to see you try and get your leg that high more than anything. Uh, okay, <laughs> you, I'm going to try it. It's live radio, but everyone, I'm lifting my leg up to my face. I can't... I'm going to tilt the camera. There we go. Woof. Oh, that is ugly. Oh, yeah, my God. It's nasty. It's nasty. And it was a lot worse. But yesterday, I actually smashed my front tooth out as well. Oh, good. Well, you sound really good with no teeth in the front. It's actually an old uh, injury from when I was 18 years old. I went to a party, and it was uh, one of my early experiences, not my first, you know, with alcohol. And I was just comering out in the corner, and my friend today decides it's a really good time for me to dance. So he gets up, and uh, he starts swinging me around in circles. I'd been drinking Woodstock that night, which is a bourbon and Coke, and he's only called them Woodies. And uh, anyway, I slip. I face plant, no arms, hands in my pockets pretty much, poof, teeth first into the floor. Uh, tooth goes flying out. I have no idea where it is. I get up, keep dancing. And my friend Dave is like, yo, look at your face. There's blood everywhere. I was like, oh, so there is. And then there's a big scavenger hunt for my tooth. Same tooth. 17 years later, I'm eating a cookie. Snap. Falls out because I had it glued back on, you see. <laughs> this has been another episode of Chris's <laughs> Tragic Accidents. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I live in Japan. We got dental, thirty bucks. Built me a new one, really? just like that. How's your father? Look at yeah, that, that's eh? awesome. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Well, there's another thing going on in Japan with a show you wanted to share with us. Uh, okay, well, I mean, well, I want to share it with you, but only if you know about it. And I asked your producer to ask you if you know about this. Do you know about Hajime no Otsukai or old enough? Do you know about it, Shane? No, I didn't until you uh, brought it up. I can't, Shane, I put it in the, the thing for you to God read. Damn it. Well, no, I'm, no, no, that's when I learned about it, That when you gave it to me. I didn't know about it okay. before that. Okay, okay, great. That's what I meant. Good. That's what okay, I meant. Like, not until Ryan brought it I up. I did then... a good job. You know, oh, shift geez. producers, they're just not what they used to be. No, they're not what they used to be, hey? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'll tell you. A... <laughs> goodness to me. There was a great text so from Dan that says, you finally acknowledge that Ryan's a rescue. <laughs> uh, yeah but we all love a rescue it's okay it's all right wow, that's what he says they make the best pets so. <laughs> okay um oh, i mean it's i mm, you know what i'm actually gonna put a pin in this shane i'm gonna put a pin in this okay. and move on the stories because i'm gonna give you an errand to do uh because this show in japan is called hajimeta no otsukai which means my first errand and it's okay. about little children as young as two, three, and four, who are sent out by their parents to go and do errands around the town by themselves. Wow. And it's on Netflix. And I brought it up because a lot of the radio bits that I'm doing at the moment, a lot of the hosts are seeing this thing on Netflix. It's been around for like 30 years. But a lot of the hosts are being like, hey, Chris, can we talk about this crazy Japanese show? And I'm like, of course we can. Um, so I will give you an Otsukai. I'll give you an errand, which is uh, by next week to jump on Netflix and have a look at, in English, it's called Old Enough. And uh, watch a couple of episodes and uh, tell me what you think. We'll talk about it next week. Talk about it next week. Okay, so it's old enough. Yeah. It's young two, three, four-year-olds. Uh, can I, I'm going to let everyone into one more little nugget of this in the headline, which I think it describes it uh, as well and just adds on to what you've done. It says, mm -hmm, it's basically mm -hmm. the antithesis of helicopter parenting, where like helicopter parents <laughs> want to be like, hands-on all the time oversee everything oh, are you okay oh my god let me help you everything else and this is more like see a kid i need a pack of smokes go get it for me actually it's very much like that you know and it's very cool because like you know in some episodes the kids are really great and you know they have a little flag which they hold out to cross the road so the cars stop and you know they're two years old and they're going buying curry ingredients and then other episodes you know the parents are working in the mandarin orchard and they're like, walk 10 meters up to the house and make us a mandarin juice. And the kid just can't do it. He goes up to the house and starts, you know, chasing the dog around with a water gun for three hours. <laughs> and then the parents call to yell at them. And so, uh, and, but it was interesting because I had a, a bit in New Zealand the other day and the host was like, everyone in New Zealand is horrified by this show. And I'm, I was like, why? Anyway, anyway I, I, I would like you to watch it. Okay. And we'll uh, watch we'll, it. We'll, 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 we'll talk about it next week. Say. I yeah. love it. Great. That's the cool. homework. Yeah, homework for you.
Uh, Where are we going next? Uh, Can we do that yeah, one? Soccer. We got yeah, got the clips one. lined I've, up for this I've, one because I've had the good. audio for a couple of weeks. So, um, Watford is a place in London, and they played Brentford, which is another place in London with the you know the kick the ball with the foot game. It's called the Premier mm. League in, in the UK. Uh, Watford apparently suck. They're not a good team. Uh, Brentford, I don't think are very good either, but they lost two one. But it could have been 2-2. Two, two. Uh, the Watford players missed... Uh, I, just so you know, everybody, I obviously don't know anything about sport, but bear with me here. The Watford players, the people who play the soccer, they missed an easy opportunity in front of the open net. It was wide open. One player kicked the ball. It hit the pole. Uh, the other player kicked the ball, and it didn't go in the net. Uh, that player's name... Uh, is very unfortunate uh, for a moment like this. Uh, you do not want to have this name when you play for a Premier League team and you miss an easy goal. So uh, let's uh, play that first clip there, shall we? Let's listen to the audio. Here's Dennis. He's full of confidence. It's deflected into the far. This is Soko. Oh, and it's off the post. Oh, and loser. 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 <laughs> No way. That's a bit mean, isn't it? I don't think it's very professional. <laughs> I'm going to die. It's so funny. Oh. So his name is Luza? Okay. Oh, uh, so his Excuse name me, is Imran Luza. Oh. Imran Luza, spelled L-O-U-Z-A. He was born in 1999. He's 22 in Nantes, France. He's a midfielder for Watford and for the Moroccan national team. He signed with Watford in 2021 for a fee of 10 million euros. He has a five-year contract until 2026. Um, since he signed, he's played in the Premier in the last two seasons, 19 matches, and scored exactly zero goals. Oh. Loser. <laughs> and uh, Loser. Uh, it's, it's uh, like, I, I, without being too mean here, like we're not making fun of someone's name, I do believe that commentator halfway through what they were doing realized what they were doing and just ran with it and if we listen to the second clip they kind of like skip a beat after that after they say loser 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 and then add context to what they're saying which kind of makes the whole thing worse in my opinion uh let's see if you agree with me let's play that second clip She tries to save it. Do you hear that? She's like, oh, I just said loser three times. I better add some context to this. So good. <laughs> Somehow put it wide. Uh, I wonder how much uh, loser makes in this uh, world of... 10 million. Um, 10 million euro contract. Oh, my God. And he doesn't score. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I can't talk about off the pitch, but on the pitch, he definitely does not score. Wow. My God. Uh, okay. I, I love it. Um, wow. Hate your parents, I guess, eh? Um, I don't have anything else about the story, by the way, guys. I just wanted to play the loser, loser, loser cliff. Shall we move on? It. No, it's great. I, uh, you can play it one more. Let's play it one more time. It's so good. Do it again. Cool. Let's do it. Here's Dennis. He's full of confidence. He's deflected into the bar. This is so cool. <laughs> it's equally she, as funny every time you hear it. Uh, the she, the she best part just a little bit too much. She does enjoy it too much, and the best yeah. part is is that she she's saying she's saying, "Oh, he's full of confidence, loser." Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like, you up. She says it. Yeah, it's and like, then tear loser. you down. <laughs> yeah, it's that real emphasis on the second loser. She goes, she kind of ramps into it, and she's like. Loser, and it's like That's I'm pretty good. sure I remember, you know, like you know, late from high school, saying it and receiving it, you know, with that much emphasis. But you know, let's not That's talk good. about my family trauma, my childhood trauma. Let's move on before I start crying. Move on. All right. <clears throat> anyway, need a hug. Uh, the next story <laughs> is um, also in the UK. Okay, so <sighs> okay, this is going to be a bit of a a bit of a. Um, Oh, mate, you know what I did? I closed down all my tabs that had my um, stories open. Um, what did you do so that for? Just, um, because I wanted to have good audio quality, so I closed down everything that was taking up um, bandwidth. 
Um, let's have a look. It's it's loading. It's it's loading. Yeah, this story is about a guy who um, he, the headline is a man is fined in Lewisham, uh, London, UK, after his shadow, the shadow of his car, crossed into the disabled parking space next to his car. Okay, and. That sounds ridiculous, right? And you think it might sound like clickbait, and obviously it is clickbait, but you know who falls for clickbait? This guy, while searching for stories for this show. Um, <laughs> I fell for this clickbait, and I was so annoyed about it, I looked into it a bit further. Uh, the story goes, a disbelieving driver has been fined £65, I can't believe they still use pounds, for leaving the shadow of his car in a disabled car parking space. Matthew Cole, the most you know South London name ever, left his Silver Ford estate outside the Blackheath Postal Office in Lewisham, London, in March. The shadow of his car crept into the nearby, they say, handicapped space. I'm going to, I don't think that I'm disabled space. Uh, the following month, Matthew was stunned, stunned, I say, after being fined by the Lewisham Council. Um, he told my London, it's absurd. There's no signage as to where I parked and the photos they sent me only show the shadow of my car in the handicap space. I drove with my daughter to a football game in the Heidi. I don't know what the Heidi is. And had previously parked there without any problems. Since I didn't get the ticket the other times, I personally don't think I should have gotten a ticket this time. So this guy parked in a space next to a handicap space. And this headline is his shadow was in the park and that's why he got fined when really he got fined for being, I don't know. There's, I looked into it. Lewisham Postal Office, I street viewed it, has two parking spaces in front of it. Next to one, in, sorry, in front of one parking space, there's a tall sign right in the middle that says disabled parking only. He parked in the space next to it, which didn't have one of those signs. But those spaces look connected. And I thought, well, maybe this guy is just a massive D-O-U-C-H-E, knew the rules, knew he was parking in a disabled parking space. So, mm -hmm. uh, and tried to get away with it, pretty much. So I wanted to figure out what was going on. So, do you know what I did? I did journalism. Mm. And... I emailed the Lewisham uh, traffic department uh, the following email. Uh, let me find it here. <clears throat> Probably close Good that Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. I'm just writing with a query regarding the parking situation in front of the Blackheath Postal Office. My mother is quite old and sickly, and I'm worried about taking her automobile to the Blackheath Postal Office after she read about some trouble on the news recently. She would quite like to know whether the pair of very convenient parking spaces located just in front are both for blue badge that's disabled, carrying drivers, or if only the one in front of the very nice featured sign is for disabled needed drivers. If they were both for disabled drivers, I believe she will find an alternative way to commute to the postal office. Thank you so awfully much and have a jolly day. Christopher A. Wow. That's deception. That's not journalism. No, well, I mean, the journalism is deception. I don't know what journalism school you went to. But, journalism you know, is deception. You heard it here first. <laughs> you just got to choose what deception you want to believe. You know, that's it's how true. that's how you choose. You know, do you yeah. like crunchy peanut butter or smooth peanut butter, Shane? It's the same thing. But mm -hmm. it's like uh, I emailed them and uh, I got an email back that uh, said, I'm sorry, we don't re respond to individual emails. And it was an automated <laughs> email. It was very interesting that I got an individual email saying that I don't respond to individual emails. And so I thought, well, <laughs> I better actually do my job properly and send an email to the media email address, um, which I did. Um, ah. But I kind of shot myself in the foot because I'd already used my name with the fake story about my sick mother. Um, so I kind of had to use a different email address and, you know, this is, this is not how you go about doing this job normally, but Hey, I, I live free and wild. Uh, my media after, uh, email was very easy. It was just like, good afternoon. I'm a Tokyo based producer, blah, blah, blah. Um, I would like to know if both the parking spaces in front of the post office blue bash is able, uh, both for disabled parking, or if it's only the one in front of the sign, thank you very much. Kind regards, <clears throat> different name. And, uh, to be honest, also illegal. 
I it's not a legal shame. It's not. It's just you know, like not quite what you're meant to do. But you should work. I tell you what, it does do. It turns a really boring story on a slow news day into something interesting. It is and, interesting. And uh, I have not had any reply back, but I still think this guy is a D-O-U-C-H-E. How is your, well, you know, it's like one of those, when you pull into a spot and it's got the painted wheelchair on the ground, but it's really, really faded, you know, are yeah. you one of those people that you're like, can't really see it, just going to say I didn't see it, even though the, side, the, the, the spot is oversized, or are you one of those people you're like, that's possibly a, uh, a reserve stall, I'm going to just go over there. There's two people in the world. I say enter at your own risk, you know, and I also say enter on your own conscience because there are people who can't walk who kind of need that, you know, to do. I mean, I don't know who does posting anymore, but I assume some people do. And I I just, you know, I think uh, if you're going to be like, oh, I didn't see it, that's fine. Like, go in. But if you get fined for it, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I tried and I failed. But if you get fined for it, this guy went and complained to the news. He's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. I've parked here for 14 years. My grandfather parked here and his great-great-grandfather parked here. You know, he, he's, he's doing that thing. And it's like, mate, you knew what you were doing. Come on. Come on. Like, it. everyone, just be a little bit more honest with your parking infringements. That's what I'm saying. And I'll be a little so bit Chris- more honest with my media requests. Yeah, right. Uh, how's your grandmother, by the way? Is she doing okay since we're talking about her on the show and she's got to decide where she's going to park in front of this place? Um, it was my mother, and uh, oh. yeah, I, I think she's actually totally fine. She can look after herself, yeah. Good. I love it. Oh, man, this is great. Sir Christopher Gilbert, um, live from Tokyo here. I hope your knee feels better. That is quite ugly, um, and I uh, hope you're feeling all right, buddy. Yeah, no, it's going to be all good, and uh, next week I'll be in New Zealand. And so oh, I will cool. do the I'll do the the promised video at the very least, uh, giving you a tour of my hometown. Yes, I uh, thank you very much, and we're going to post that at shiftheads.ca. And I'm going to have to change my time zones on my little uh, world clock here on my on my computer, so I can uh, know what time it is in New Zealand when we get to that. So next week here on the shift, we are going. We'll do our homework. We'll be good kids. Uh, so uh, the um, old enough show is that what it's called? Yeah, old enough. We're going to look for it on Netflix and And, and um, talk about it. And just one more piece of homework. There's a story that I really want everyone to know about that we didn't get around to tonight, but please look into the California woman who fell headfirst into an open hiking toilet and spent an hour just covered in uh, human waste because she was looking for her phone. It's a great story. And I'll see you guys next week. Sir Christopher Gilbert. Thanks, buddy. Good stuff. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.